You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. It's great to see you all. Just say hello to one another. Um, Today's passage, we talk about freedom. You know, the whole book of Galatians, we've talked about freedom. And this passage is really the climax of it, really a summary and, and the author of this letter to the church in Galatia, uh, the Apostle Paul, summarizes this for us. And so this is really the crux of the letter and this kind of the central climax of what it means to be free and what freedom does mean as a Christian and follower of Jesus. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5, uh, reading the first 12 verses together. Remember, as we come to this, it's God's word and we receive it, wanting to hear from him with ears open and eyes ready to see. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. You know, more just soft words from Paul, right? You know, this morning's passage is all about freedom. And what comes to mind when we talk about freedom, the idea of freedom In our culture, at least, most obviously are things like religious freedom and political freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to bring challenge to government without the threat of punishment, freedom to enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These freedoms are what make the people of the United States the freest in the world. That's an obvious category of freedom. We love our freedom as Americans. And yet there are lesser obvious categories of freedom that drive our life every single day. They govern our lives. They govern every decision we make and our thinking and our doing. Some are less obvious. You know, it could be even said that that most of the decisions that we make every single day is a desire to pursue freedom and to avoid restrictions and limitations. If a decision will enhance our freedom and our ability of choice, then we will we will do that thing. If there's a decision that will limit our freedom and puts restriction on our life, we will avoid that thing. We're driven by freedom. Two examples uh, that express our desire for freedom as a people uh, both come from songs by strong women that have defined their particular generations. Janis Joplin in the 1960s and, and of course, Elsa um, in the 2000s, Okay. <laughs> The first Janis Joplin, let's think about the Janis Joplin who wrote the song a decade before I was, 
I was born uh, called, the song was called Me and Bobby McGee. It comes from, it comes to mind every time I think of freedom. Every time I think of freedom, I think of Janis Joplin and the line, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing. And that's exactly what Bobby left me with. Okay, so Janis and Bobby are traveling the world in a, you know, a van, right? 1960s. And freedom, freedom is like you have your guitar and you're free to go wherever you want as you please with no limitations. That's what freedom is, nothing left to lose. Well, Bobby gets tired of Janice and, and, and uh, stops on the side of the road, takes her guitar and dumps her on the side of the road. And she says, that's okay with me, one less thing to worry about. One less restriction, one less thing. Now I don't even have my guitar, but that's okay. Because freedom is to be unhindered of everything. And that's, that defined a generation, won a Grammy Award, and even has been considered one of the greatest songs ever written. I don't know who these people are that are deciding this, but this is one of the greatest and defined an entire generation of thinking. This is what freedom is. No anchors in your life. No one telling you what to do. And if things are taken from you, that's even better because now you have one less thing to worry about. The kind of freedom drives the human spirit in so many ways. No limitations on my free will. I can do whatever I want. And then the second female singer, Elsa, who defined uh, many of our generations, uh, listen to these lyrics. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once control me can't control me and wait, no, can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And our daughters love it. Two songs written by 50 years of women apart from one another, both winning Grammy Awards, both of these songs defining a generation, the best songs of their year. Why? Because freedom might be the single most absolute value of our culture. The pursuit of freedom dominates our lives. If we think of a decision that will lead to more of a life of freedom, then we make that choice. If we think of a decision that will lead to a life of restriction, we will avoid that thing. And some of us are so wrapped up in this desire for freedom, not, it's, not, it's, not, not, it's not bad, that if we are given rules, we will rebel against those rules simply because they have been mandated. I can't think of any obvious, you know... <laughs> Examples of, I'm not doing that because you told me I have to. That's not a life of freedom. To be free is the ultimate value. It's the ultimate good. This, it surpasses every other value in our culture. It's what makes us a unique people. Now, this is uh, also the thinking of the Christians to whom this passage is, is written uh, this morning. These first century Christians were faced with an either-or life decision. Either they look to Christ for their salvation, and they look to grace for salvation, and all of their hope and all of their joy and peace and all of their acceptance before God, they look to Jesus and him alone, and they find favor with God through that. Or they look to their moral goodness, their character improvement, and their moral record 
to find all of those things of acceptance and favor and forgiveness and love from God. And Paul says one of those ways is going to look like freedom, but will actually lead to enslavement. And one of those is going to look like slavery, but actually lead to freedom. And it seems like the arch enemy of freedom in our culture is a relationship with Jesus. And people looking at someone from the outside will say, why do you want to do that? Why would you become a Christian? Why do you follow Jesus? It's put so much restriction on your life. Because embedded in our life is a desire and a value to be free people. And why would you put on this yoke of slavery to just follow all of these rules? And Paul says what looks like enslavement is actually the only way to true freedom. And what looks like freedom, making your own choices, living by your own set of rules, will actually enslave you. Looking to yourself feels like freedom. Being a free thinker and a person who says, like, I will do what I will do, and I will live by my own set of rules, Paul says, that will lead to enslavement of the worst kind. And actually surrendering your life to the direction and lordship of Jesus looks like slavery to the world, but is actually the only path to real freedom. Paul says to them, it's possible to pursue your freedom in ways that actually enslave you. It's possible to do it every day. And so let's walk through this passage as Paul lays out this before us, how we become free and what does freedom actually look like? Because he's making this defense that, that actually to become uh, followers of Christ and to, to lay our life down, to surrender our life to Jesus is actually the only path to the real freedom we're looking for. For he says in verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. This can be seen as like a seven word summary of the entire letter. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Uh, this is the goal of Paul's message and the purpose of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. The purpose of his intercession in heaven and his sending of the Holy Spirit into the lives of his people is for freedom. It is the purpose for which he came. It's the purpose for which we, he died on the cross. is so that you and I would be free people. And then he goes on to show us how freedom in Christ is the only path to, to, to true freedom. Here are a few implications of freedom in Christ. The first is freedom from performance. Verse 2, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no value to you. Now, if you're just joining us this week, this is jumping out of nowhere, right? He talks about circumcision, I know, because I had to read it like four times. He's talking about circumcision, it seems like it came out of nowhere, but if you've been with us through previous weeks, you know exactly what he's talking about. In the Old Testament, God gave his people what is known as the Mosaic Law. These laws contain countless regulations in ways that we, as God's people, as God's Old Testament people, were meant to present themselves to God as acceptable, holy, and pure people. Think of them as visual aids that God gave to his people that he wanted to use to get across to his people that he was a holy God, that he was a perfect God without blemish or sin at all, and we are sinful people, and in order to have a relationship with God, we had to go through these rituals, these purification rituals, we had to abide by these certain laws. They were never meant to save us, but they were meant to demonstrate uh, our uh, his righteousness and our faith in trusting in him and being obedient people. 
They're ultimately designed to show us how impossible it is to make ourselves holy and perfect before God. But that one day he would send us the perfect. He would send us the pure. He would send us the one who was without blemish, Jesus Christ, who would die in our place. One of these visual aids was circumcision, the cutting away of skin from all males. And at the time of this writing, many of these Jewish people practiced these purity laws. They were now becoming Christians. They were trusting in Christ and putting their faith in what he did for them on the cross. They were believing in his life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. They were trusting that they had been washed clean from sin because of the shedding of Jesus' blood. But, then, but old, habit, old habits die hard. And people were coming along and false teachers were coming along and persuading them, distorting the gospel and saying, well, if you, if, if you think that makes you free and makes you good, imagine how being this good and following these rules and these laws will make you even better. And so therefore, they become caught up in this distortion that making themselves acceptable to God by their moral character, record, and purity. And circumcision is used here Generally, is specifically used here, but generally, Paul could be talking about anything that we look to in the created world for meaning in our life that makes us acceptable before God and free from sin. Anything other than the performance of Jesus for us becomes that thing that distorts the true gospel. And Paul says it makes Christ useless to us. If we are living our life trying to perform, God, is this good enough? Have I done a good job? Have I, have, I, have I done good? Have I followed your rules? And so I have my life in order, then Paul says, then Jesus is useless to you. You have to pick one or the other. You have to pick the righteousness of Christ for you as a substitute, or you have to pick your own righteousness. You have to pick his record, or you have to pick your record. You can't pick both, and be careful because whatever, whichever one you choose, you have to reject the other. And they're trying to marry the two. They're trying to meddle the two, and by doing that, they're ruining both. See, salvation by grace, is the, it's the greatest theme in all of history. The one, one reason why Paul is so passionate about this, why he's using such strong language. We don't make ourselves right. We are rescued. And if we don't believe that we are all that bad, then the grace of God is not, it's not going to mean anything to us. I'm, I understand this may sound familiar um, to a lot of previous sermons in this series, but that's on purpose because we need to remember that Scripture often repeats itself for a very important purpose. Paul is repeating himself over and over and over again. It's not by what you do, it's because of the grace of God. It's not by the law, it is by the righteousness of Christ. It's not because of who you are and what you've done. It's not because of your family. It's not because of your performance, it's because of the performance of Jesus. Okay, we get it. No, I don't think you do. We need to keep hearing this over and over again because we are so prone to just reset back into a life of performance to feel okay with God. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And we can't add to our morality, we can't add our morality to Christ's sacrifice thinking that it will make it better without taking away from Christ himself. If performing before God to feel more acceptable to him is part 
of the way that we view our relationship with him, then we will not become more free in life, but less free. We actually become more enslaved. We, become, we find ourselves further away from that life of freedom, of joy and peace and acceptance with God than we desire. Paul goes on to, to even reiterate this and even go deeper into this. In verse 3, he says, I say again, every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. If God loves you because you are good, then logically speaking, you must be good all the time. The only way then for God to love you is for you to be good at everything he's asked you to do. And so freedom in Christ doesn't only free us from performance, but it also frees us from perfection. Paul is asking us to be honest with ourselves as we look to what God commands in the law. He says, how are you doing? Assess your life. You want to be good before God to be loved by him? Then look at your life. How are you doing? If you're anything less than 100%, then you have failed. I'm 90%. I remember the first time someone asked me, you know, on a scale from 1 to 10, if you were to die today, how likely are you to get into heaven? And I remember this very vividly because I was in a, a group around, you know, a circle group. You, Christians like to be in circles. And so it's our favorite shape. And, and so we get in this circle. There's like 10 of us. And I'm like the third person. And, and, and the Bible study leader asks every person in the group, scale from 1 to 10. The first two people say 10. 10, certain I'm going to, I'm like, man, they, they're just so off. Like no one's a 10. And I say, I'm, I'm like a 7. I'm so close. Every other person in the group said 10. And I'm thinking, what am I missing here? Like, there's no way they, they're either they're ignorant of their own sins or they're ignorant of who they are. They don't know who they are. Well, they, they understood who they were. They understood it wasn't because of them. But I thought I'm like 70% good. And the problem is you're either 0 or 10. You're either, you either have confidence in what God has done for you or, or you have confidence in yourself, which is, which is no confidence at all. Freedom in Christ leads us not just to be free to perform and to labor, labor, labor over works of the law, but free to be perfect. Because perfect has been satisfied in Jesus, in his life, his perfect life. His perfect and acceptable uh, sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection. Admit that you can't do all that God has asked. Let's be honest with ourselves. We don't just need a helper in our life. We need a savior. We need a rescuer. We're not just sick in sin. We're dead in sin. We need a resurrection in our own lives, in our own heart. We need a very new heart, not just a heart that works better. What's the law good for? The law is good as a measure. It's, it's good to show us uh, what kind of life is pleasing to God. It's good as a mirror to kind of reveal to us the sins in our life. It's good as a guide to show us that we need, need God in our life to rescue us but the law is very bad for finding salvation, for finding acceptance, for finding favor, for finding God's love, and for finding peace in our life. We can't find it through the law. One of the most, most fundamental mistakes that you and I can make is to look to rules to find life. One of the biggest mistakes that you and I can do is to look to rules 
to find life. It is if I do this, if I obey this, if I am good enough here, this will lead to life. It'll lead to peace, to joy, to freedom. And rationally then, as reasonable people, Paul says, then you must, by that rationale, you must be good at everything because God will then hold you to that standard. We don't earn God's love. We don't deserve God's love. But love is exactly what God pours out on us through Jesus. It's exactly what we get through Jesus. We spend our lives trying to prove ourselves to, to God. We spend our lives trying to prove ourselves to others. And you might be thinking, I don't care what others think. Okay, well, you spend your life proving yourself, your life to yourself. You have unwritten laws that you have for yourself. I must be this person. I will never become like my mother. That's a law. I will never become this kind of person. I will never be like my father. I will never be that kind of whatever. You have written laws for yourself that you are saying, I have to abide by these things in order to be a free and lovable person. Once we realize that we can't earn God's love, we can't try harder, we can't be better, we can never really prove ourselves to God, but that through Jesus we receive it anyways. We receive his love, we receive his acceptance, we receive his security and his presence, then we step into this glorious freedom of grace. It is then we step into this glorious freedom. Jesus has given us what we don't deserve. And so we don't have to continually beat ourselves up for our failures or we don't have to beat ourselves up over what people think of us. We don't have to prove ourselves to anyone. We can have strength. We can have security. We can have courage in life. Fulfillment and identity that's dare I even say, unshakable, never-ending because of the never-ending grace of God. We can find freedom. Freedom in Christ means that we don't have to be perfect. Another thing that we see in implication in this passage is that freedom, we have freedom from punishment. Freedom from punishment. Look at verse 4. You're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. Here we see Stronger language, which Paul is no stranger to in this letter or any of his letters. Strong language that is meant to actually communicate a benefit of God's grace. Grace is presented in the Bible to represent many of God's blessings, many of his benefits. But not least of all is the forgiveness of sin and the removal of guilt. Guilt for sin. If I asked you what benefits you enjoy because of the grace of God in your life, I'd probably hear a lot of answers, a lot of really great answers, and maybe even answers that are somewhat subjective to your own personal experience. You might even share, if I asked you to be vulnerable, how the blessings of God have changed your life, you'll share how, how you have come to know him and found peace and, and how you are blessed because of his love for you and his particular kindness to you. But verse 4 reminds us that there is an objective reality, and an objective reality of freedom in Christ is that we are freed from both the penalty and the guilt of sin. We are freed from that. We have this record of sin that presents every single one of us, if we stand on our own record, as guilty people deserving of God's eternal punishment and then the fact that we don't have that, that we've been justified by grace through faith, 
is a miracle. The penalty of sin is condemnation. It is separation from God. It is judgment and punishment. And our passage aims to remind us of how we are justified. Justified is this is legal word to talk about innocent. It's like you're standing before a judge, and there in the courtroom, your entire, the heavenly courtroom of God, your entire life is now played over, uh, over a jumbotron for all the heavenly hosts to see and God then to render judgment based on your record. Every thought, every hidden desire, every behavior, every sin and wrongdoing you've ever done. And if there is one thing you've ever done, then the penalty will be death. And it's here in the courtroom we are said to be justified, not because of our record, but because of Jesus's. Freedom from punishment, freedom from condemnation, freedom from God's wrath, freedom from the pain and consequence of sin. To be justified is to be in a relationship marked by innocence before God so that God looks at us with the fullest affection as if we have, that we are his children who have done nothing wrong. Imagine how much you'd love your kids if they never did anything wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's not fair. God loves us in spite of that. He loves us so much, the Bible says, that he gave his only son to die for our sins. So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life reminds us of the objective reality that we are freed from the penalty of sin. So, to be justified is to be in an innocent relationship with God. We will aim to find that on our own record, or we will aim a different way. And Paul says, if you are aiming to find that based on your own record, then you have severed yourself from Christ. That's, that's a strong statement. You've severed yourself. You've, you've torn yourself away from the grace of God. Because if in looking to God and, and trusting in him, you then re, you, you, you retract from that and now are trying to find justification and acceptance with God and innocence before God through your own work, then grace has no need, it, it, it has become useless to you and you have cut yourself from the benefit of Christ. We, there has to be another way. We are free from performance. We are freed from the need to be perfect, from the requirements of performance and perfection and punishment because of the performance and perfection of Christ and the punishment he took on the cross in our place. This is the way. This is how God answers that problem, the dilemma that you and I face, that God is a, a just God. He must punish sin, but he's a merciful God who loves his people and desires to pour out his love on his people. And we have here this dilemma, and he must harmonize the two. How does he do that? By pouring out his wrath on his perfect son, who takes our penalty of our sin on himself so that we can take his righteousness through faith. Christ lived the life that you and I strive to live through our performance and desire for perfection, but fail to every single day. Jesus did that perfectly. 
Christ obeyed God perfectly, was sinless. He, he did everything, every actual command, and he was even passively obedient. This means that not only did he obey all of God's commands, but he submitted his own will and heart to God. So he said, I will do everything you've asked me to do, but I'll go even a step further. My life, I surrender my whole life and my desires to you, and so any direction that you have for me is your will, not mine. That's what he said the night before he was crucified. He said, I, I don't want to do this. I'm not looking forward to this in the sense that it's, it causes me great agony physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. But if it's your will, then that's what I want. That is obedience to God. Christ took our punishment on the cross in our place. The good news of Christ is this. We are so bad that Christ had to die for us, but so loved that he was glad to die for us. After describing our freedom, Paul says this, for in, in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Now there are two kinds of people Paul's talking about. The uncircumcised, the circumcised. And there's two people in this room that correlate to what Paul is talking about here in his audience. The person who tries really, really hard to please God. The person who takes themselves seriously and takes God seriously. The person who makes sure that, that he or she does what God has asked you to do and what you are supposed to do as a follower of Jesus. You are working really hard to be a good Christian. That's you. If that's you, you're thinking, you, like, yes, that's me. That's the Christian I want to be. I want to be that good Christian. And then there are the other the type of person is just the failure, the one who, who isn't really even trying at all, the one who's rebellion, rebelling, the one who's disobedient, the one who's careless, the one who's dishonest, the one who says, God, I know what you want, but I really don't care what you want because I want a life of comfort and freedom. And if I had to ask you, which one does God desire us to be? You probably would think, well, the one who tries really hard. And Paul says, Neither of you matter. Like what you do in your righteousness or in your failure counts for nothing. But, but I read the Bible in a whole year. <laughs> but I've, I've never watched an R-rated movie. It doesn't matter. But I hold to a literal six-day creation account. Doesn't matter. But, I'm, but, I've, but I've sinned enough for 10 lifetimes. That doesn't matter either. So whatever matters to you, whether your life or your failure, Paul says, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what Jesus did for you. The only thing that matters, the, only, the, 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 the false teachers are coming in and saying there's a type of Christian that God desires. The type of person that is the Christian type that God looks upon with favor. And it's this type of person who, who follows God's law. And Paul says there's only one type of Christian. It is the type of person who puts their faith in Jesus. That's the type that God is looking for. Not themselves. So whether you do all the good things or you are the worst of sinners you've ever known, neither are far from God. Neither can earn their way to God, and neither are so far that they are beyond the reach of his grace. Nothing else matters. 
Do you get this? Nothing else matters but faith working through love. That's all that matters. Faith working through love. This new freedom that we come into because of the grace of God has an overflowing effect of faith working through love. How do we know if we are people who have effectively like, put our trust in Jesus and what he has done for us, that we are growing in, in rejecting a, a, a performance-based, man-centered, woman-centered approach to God, that we will increase in a life that demonstrates faith working through love. We are warned in, in our freedom, in exercising our freedom as God's people as such. We are warned to stand firm because it's a vulnerable thing that we, we can re, kind of rep, we can regress back to old habits and old ways of trusting in our righteousness. We're warned to see our freedom in Christ not as a means to serve our own interests, but as a means to enjoy God and love others. And if we are using our freedom in Christ to indulge in our personal benefits, hoarding for ourselves, maintaining our own way of life, and not living out faith through love, then Paul says, then you don't understand freedom in Christ. We need to hear this. Uh, one, because it's got what God wants for us to hear, and it's difficult for us to hear, and that's why we need to be challenged. Because we have a tendency, you and I have a tendency to fall back into the burden of moral performance, and then fall back into the expectation and obligation that others perform the same way. You need to be a good kind of person because I'm a good kind of person. You, but you only need to follow the laws that I follow. If I don't care about that law, you don't need to care about it either we are prone to fall back into that way of life. We're prone to forget the freedom that we have in Christ by his grace through faith, that it's not because of anything we've done, that he gives it to us freely. It actually gives us the freedom that we've always desired, but this freedom then overflows and is lived out in a life of faith worked out in love. So freedom in Christ is not only about the good that we receive, but that we, are now, we have the freedom to love, the freedom to serve the freedom to pour ourselves out. Why? Why are we now able to like love others? Because we have everything we need. We're able to empty ourselves. We're able to use our freedom to serve others because we know that everything that we've ever needed, acceptance, security, significance, joy, peace, we have in Christ. We have it all. Galatians 5, 13, 14, for you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I thought we were free. I thought we were free in Christ. Freedom is just another word for nothing left, left to lose. Freedom is having no anchors, no limitations. Freedom is to do whatever I want to do, just like Jesus. <laughs> Wait a minute. How did Jesus exercise his freedom? How did he demonstrate that he was a person who could lose nothing because he had everything in the love of God? He gave his life. He gave his life for us. 
Freedom in Christ does not mean free to indulge in every selfish desire. Because true freedom that comes from a place of rest in Christ will lead to love and service. Freedom uses, used for selfish gain is a very superficial kind of freedom. I'll give you a couple examples. It's like a child who says, my parents gave me freedom. I'm now 16, free to go and do whatever I want. I think I will exercise my freedom by running in the highway, <laughs> in a busy highway. Well, yeah, technically you can. Technically, you're free to use your new freedom to go run and play in the highway. But why would you do that? That's foolish. Don't do that. It's like a newly released prison inmate saying, I'm going to use my new freedom to rob a liquor store. It is like a, a person celebrating their one-year sobriety from alcohol addictions saying, I'm going to use my new freedom to celebrate and to get drunk all the time. That's not freedom. Your actions are not free. You are once again enslaved. So it's possible to think that we are free, but to actually be enslaved. We have the tendency to fall back into the burden of performance and perfection and avoiding punishment, but we can stand firm. In Christ, we can live free in Christ, not because we're perfect, but because we're forgiven. We get to live a life, not because we're perfect or expecting others to be perfect, but because we are forgiven and others are forgiven in Christ. And because we're forgiven and justified and loved and rescued and accepted and adopted, we don't need to prove ourselves to God. We don't need to prove ourselves to others. We don't need to demand uh, a position of honor and uh, prestige in others. We don't need to fight for the upper hand. We don't need to make sure that, that our life is uh, controlled exactly the way that we want it to be because we're in the loving hands of a God who cares for us. Our culture is overly obsessed with superficial kinds of freedom defined by self-fulfillment and self-indulgent lifestyle and a mentality of I do whatever I want to do. But the freedom God calls us to is so much more free than that. The freedom we have in Christ is the freedom from the need to demand our own freedom. We're free from the insecurities that come from needing to prove ourselves. We're free to enjoy God and to serve others. And this is the only way to get it. It is through Christ. It is through repenting. It is through trusting. It is through looking at our life of self-fulfillment, self-performance and righteousness. It is looking at all the ways that we are pursuing the life that we always desired through our own record and character and saying, God, I am sorry for doing this. I have sought to find true life through myself. And that has only led to a life more enslaved. But you exercise your freedom by giving your life to me, dying on the cross, and you performed, you were perfect, and you took my punishment so that I could be free. My hope is in you. My trust is in you. And I walk with you in this new freedom of life, content, courageous, sacrificial, not because I have to, 
but motivated now by new passions and a new love to enjoy you and to love others. That's real freedom.